Peace and love, party people. It's the BKMC, the MCEO, Talib Kweli. You are now in tune with the world's best podcast, The People's Party. And we are live right now on the New York State of Mind Tour. We are in Seattle at the Climate Pledge Arena with Nas and Wu-Tang Clan and De La Soul. Rest in peace to my man, True Goy. And I couldn't miss the opportunity to take my People's Party crew on the road because there's so many beautiful things happening on stage, backstage. Life can be so serendipitous sometimes. One of my good friends happened to be in Seattle, and this is somebody who I wanted to get on the podcast. Her voice is so important for the culture. This is the People's Party. We do a lot of partying. We talk a lot about the party. This episode is for the people. This guest is, once again, one of my good friends. She represents California. She represents Los Angeles. She spent some time living in D.C. She is an organizer, an activist. This guest has her own podcast now, How We Get Free. She's growing her platform. She stands up for marginalized people. She represents the interests of young workers. She was the director of the Youth and College Division of the NAACP. Her commitment to social justice, to labor rights, and all that has been unwavering. She worked with the AFL-CIO as a senior program specialist. She is a senior campaign, not coordinator, right? Lead. Lead <laughs> of the... Association for Flight Attendants. She is a recipient of the Champion of Change Award from the Obama White House. This only scratches the surface. You've seen her on MSNBC, CNN, BET, <laughs> passionately advocating for racial justice, voting rights, economic equity, student debt, forgiveness, all of that. More than an activist, more than an inspiration, a beacon of hope for future generations, a testament to what relentless passion can achieve. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to Tiffany Dina Lofton on a People's Party. That's beautiful. It's such a small room today. There's only like five of us. It's fine. So you got like a five-person ovation. That's fine. How you feeling, Tiff? I feel good. good Randomly in Seattle, Washington. How did that happen? Um, you texted me like you usually do, and uh -huh. you say, hey, what you doing from the 10th to the 18th? Or right. what you doing from the 1st to the 9th? Right. And I said, well, I know I'm going to be busy. Mm -hmm. I have to go. I said this to you. Seattle, Washington, New Orleans, mm -hmm. Myrtle Beach, <laughs> Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. And you said, what days are you in Seattle? Mm -hmm. And this is before I knew you were going to be here. Mm -hmm. I said, I'll be here till Thursday. I'm on a flight right now to Seattle. Right. And then you said, I'll be in Seattle on Wednesday. And then we, here we are. I said, look at God. Look at God. You did. Literally, you said, look at God. <laughs> I did. Now, do you remember how we first met? Yes. Because it's sketchy for me. It's a little... I don't remember the order. Mm -hmm. I remember how we met. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I. It's all a blur. I don't remember what years happened first. But here's what happened. Uh, you came to the Capitol in Tallahassee, Florida, mm -hmm. when we took over with the Dream Defenders for 31 days. I was there Shout for about... Shout out to Dream Defenders. Shout out to Dream Defenders. DDOD. Mm -hmm. And um, I was there for about two weeks. You were in the governor's waiting room with other folks. We were sitting there waiting mm -hmm. for the governor to respond to some of our demands. Mm -hmm. I remember possibly meeting you there. Don't remember getting a photo. Maybe I do have one. I'm good. Good, because I don't remember meeting you there. I do have a photo of you there. Right. I don't know if we have a photo together. Right. We've been in a lot of same places before we yes. actually became friends. Yes. Yeah. And then here's another example. I was the... Uh, conference director mm -hmm. for an organization called um, the Energy Action Coalition. Okay. They hosted an energy action conference in Pittsburgh. You were a performer during the concert, and I was the conference director. Okay. I do have a picture from then, 
And I was rocking really long, dirty braids that I used okay. to do myself. This is before I was bald-headed and platinum. <laughs> I've and known then, you for many hairstyles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then I also met you twice. There was a woman's rally at the Capitol. See, that's where— I don't remember what that was about. That's what I remember. I have the photo. I remember you coming, and, and you show me a picture of this. Yes. but I'm wearing red lipstick. I yes. do not wear lipstick. I remember you coming up to me, and I remember having a familiar thing. Okay. But that's the first time I remember being like— You probably didn't know my name by then, though. Yeah, this is— okay. I, know I know this that girl. Person. Yeah. I had also changed my hair, too, because I had the taper fade. Okay, yeah. So you saw me in braids, and you see me in taper fade. Mm-hmm. And then the most significant one was, for me at least, um, Malcolm X Park, Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. We were there for a Black Lives Matter. Somebody had gotten killed by the police. Mm-hmm. And there was a brother, like Hebrew Israelite, mm-hmm. purple and gold people. Mm-hmm. Is that their he, official name? He, no. Okay. <laughs> he pulled up to the park uh-huh. and was very aggressive and rude mm-hmm. to black women who were there. And you was by yourself and you was just at the park and you walked up and physically put yourself between him and me and maybe mm-hmm. three or four other women and started to like distract him and talk to him and give him dab and like distract him and pull him to the side. Mm-hmm. And I remember it being you. I remember you de-escalating the situation mm-hmm. and me thanking you. Mm-hmm. And then we all went our separate ways. And then pandemic time, I was always on your IG lives because you was DJing. And you said right. you was going to send me some Japanese whiskey. I'm glad you didn't because it's nasty. And <laughs> it's delicious. It's, you love Japanese whiskey. There will whiskey. be no Japanese whiskey slander here on the People's Party. <laughs> I never got a bottle, but it's fine. Uh, I won't right. drink it. And here we are. And then I, I, our first official, official, like, yo, we homies, mm-hmm. Vegas. Vegas. Dave Chappelle show. Yeah. Me and my cousin pulled up on you. And yeah. we had the best time of our life. It was a good time. It's crazy what you just said, that story about the situation with the brother in D.C., because you've told me the story before. And I don't remember doing it. <laughs> you did. But I'm, I'm glad that, that I did that. But that's not the only time that someone has told me that I did that. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember. There's a rapper... Um, from Project Blow Crew, uh, I'm not going to say his name, but everybody knows who I'm talking about, who knows the story, who's been trolling me online for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he's been trolling me is because he says that I came out of a nightclub and saw him being the, calling, calling a woman a bitch. He was trying to give the woman his CD, and I told him to stop it. And I'm like, okay, I'm the hero of this fucking story. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you're mad at me about this. But it's interesting to me that I'm glad that that's my default. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Because obviously I'm doing these, this stuff without thinking about it. Yeah, clearly. You know? Or remembering it. Or remembering it. Or trying it. to take credit for it. Right. Yeah, I remind you every time you did that. You did. Yeah. I remember that. Word up. Um, now, speaking of L.A. rappers, um, you're from L.A. Mm-hmm. And uh, you represent L.A. a lot. Yeah. Very well. You have your Thank chucks you. on. You were very upset that our cameras couldn't capture your, your chucks. <laughs> this is it. Waterproof. Okay? These are all weather... All-Star Chucks. Those are Chuck Taylor boots. Yes, I know. Yes, indeed. (laughs) These are my favorite. I have them in every color except for orange, but go ahead. Is there something uniquely L.A. or uniquely Southern California Mm -hmm. about the way that you approach your activism? That's a great question. Yeah. L.A. is who I am through and through because it's where I— I didn't learn activism in L.A., Mm -hmm. I learned inequality and injustice in L.A. Oh, speak on it. I'm the oldest of three. Mm -hmm. My mom and dad um, got married in Japan, fun fact. Mm -hmm. And when they moved back to Hollywood, they both were union union members with IATSE. They worked in the movie industry. Mm -hmm. My dad has 700 movies under his belt. Mm -hmm. My mom did craft service and special effects and construction. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a very happy household, and um, we didn't own the house, but I went to private school. 
And after some domestic violence disputes between my parents, my mother took all of our stuff, took us and ran away. Mm -hmm. We lived in a shelter for two years. We were homeless for two years. And then we went into Section 8 housing. And then we moved maybe three more times through Section 8 housing apartments until I got to high school. I didn't understand as a kid. I didn't get it till I got older. Mm -hmm. But I just had to grow up really quickly to support taking care of my two younger siblings mm -hmm. because my mom had like three or four jobs. Mm -hmm. And I just kept saying to myself, I went from private school to public school to magnet school. And my mom being a very strong advocate for me to get the best education possible, to go to college. And she kept saying, you have to go to college. You have to go to college, even though she herself did not go to college. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up in LA watching this like front line of my friends fall off. I had friends who died at a really young age. I have friends who went to jail. I have friends who uh, moved and never came back. I got friends who joined the military really early. Mm -hmm. And so LA became the lens at which I looked at communities of color. And then I got to Santa Cruz and it was all white. Right. right. <laughs> so LA came with me wherever mm -hmm. I went. And when I got to DC, I started organizing. I always remembered the, the privilege and the opportunity that I had to be an LA girl doing all the things that I've been doing now mm -hmm. and like traveling the world. Yeah. You said uh, while you were talking about this that you didn't see it as a younger person. Mm -mm. So what was the moment, if you can recall, when you feel like you got radicalized? As College. An College. College. It wasn't okay. until I got to UC Santa Cruz. I um I went to Birmingham High School. Mm -hmm. I was a track and field runner. I was senior uh, state champion in the 400 and the 4x4. And um, a lot of people don't know that because I don't run no more. But mm -hmm. um, I got to UC Santa Cruz. And remember, I told you my mom wanted me to go to college. Mm -hmm. When I got to Santa Cruz, the Board of Regents, who are the decision makers mm -hmm. over the University of California school system, mm -hmm. decided to increase our tuition 32%. Mm -hmm. And then I was running for student body vice president of the entire campus, 18,000 students, mm -hmm. and somebody hung a noose on campus. Mm -hmm. And so what started to click for me in my anger and my fear of like this noose at UC Santa Cruz was I come from a low-income family. <laughs> my mama told me I got to go to college. Right. I get to college. Y'all raise my tuition. And now I'm fighting to stop tuition increases and somebody hangs a noose on campus. So you attacking my education, my blackness, my my family, my pop, like all the things. That's where I started to get radicalized in my first year of college. It sounds like the plot to higher learning. Oh my God, that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Did I just trigger you? Yes. <laughs> my friends made me watch that actually. Not too long Yeah, ago. I mean John Singleton. I'm not good at black movies. There's an LA, you know, LA icon. And, yeah. And oh, that's he brought his LA-ness experience to that movie. Yeah. And I had that experience in high school. I went to a boarding school. I saw that movie in high school. And what they were going through, Busta and Ice Cube and all of them. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Mike Rappaport, who was on this show. And I, I grew up with Mike Rappaport. You know, mm. he was in Brooklyn, went to Erasmus High School. Um, I remember seeing Mike being like, Mike, you were too good in that role, bro. Like, you know <laughs> too real like, for you. Too real. <laughs> but, you know, it was like I knew Mike, and he, that's how good of an actor he is. I knew him personally. Yeah. Knew that he was the opposite of that person. Wow. But I'm like, wow, he's good at that. But, yeah, I remember I was seeing that movie and be like, that's my experience. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Now, you mentioned your father, uh, yeah. Robert Alonzo Lofton. Yes. Rest in peace. Thank you. Uh, he just transitioned recently. Thank you. Former Black Panther. Um, and, you know, knowing you... I've been a little, I've been closer than than a lot of people in terms of your journey with, with you know, the, your father's passing. And I know that you grew closer to him recently. Yeah. Um, do you mind talking about that and talking about how he continues to show up for you? Mm. Thanks for being there for me. I appreciate you. Thanks for being you. Because um, you were there the entire time. Um, like I said, my mom and dad split when I was seven. Mm -hmm. 
but I knew who my dad was my whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, December sometime of last year, mm-hmm. we don't know still what happened, but he fell at the house that he was living in by himself. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't get up anymore. And um, January 5th of this year, 2023, he was admitted to the hospital. Mm-hmm. He stayed in and out of the hospital, um, went from hospital to um, a skilled nursing facility back to a hospital from January up until August 29th when he transitioned. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to be a caretaker for eight months, mm-hmm. which like, shout out to all the caretakers. Mm-hmm. Because the way that we have to show up for our elders or even our loved ones who are not elders and also still do our jobs in a world that is entirely too expensive mm-hmm. and a healthcare system that's like not affordable for folks or equitable for people of color um, was extremely difficult to navigate. My dad, um, I told you, he was he worked on over 700 movies. Right. My daddy is a genius. Okay, he uh, the movie Hook, he designed and made the entire boat, the movie Kazam with Shaquille O'Neal. He made the bike that flew. He worked on wow. Space Jam. He worked on Alien versus Predator. He worked on Mash. He did all these things, and um, he was the type of person that if you asked him a question or told him about an experience he would tell you more than what you think you know about your own experience, even though he wasn't there. He was like that kind of macho man. (laughs) And since he's left, um, my dad was always supportive of my activism. He was always calling me to ask me for um, direction or um, corrections around who he should vote for, Mm -hmm. how how he should feel about immigration, Mm -hmm. how he should feel about education. He went to UCLA. He didn't graduate, but he would call me about student loan debt cancellation, even though he didn't have any... Um, I traveled to 42 countries. My dad would call me and make sure that I'm safe and ask me what I was doing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But yeah, I was telling you in the car on the way over here, my driver that picked me up from the airport here in Seattle Mm -hmm. was this white man named Bob who's five foot nine Mm -hmm. and he was a union member. And my dad, whose name was Bob, is also five foot nine and a union member. And so he's just like showing up for me no matter where I go and how I move. And I just keep getting confirmations from him that like he appreciates me taking care of him. He loves me very much. And... Um, he's okay. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks for asking. It's crazy how you, even in your hardest moments, you still are showing up for the people. Like you're talking about unions in this answer, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, wh- while you were going through this, you talked on Instagram about parking at the hospitals. Stupid. Break that down. Th- so there's a few things. Okay. I, I, don't, I, I don't have to break that down. Here's what I'm going to say. Hospital parking should be free, (laughs) period. Don't have to break it down. Why am I paying? I had to pay like $12 to go in and out of the hospital parking lot Mm -hmm. in multiple hospitals in Los Angeles, which Mm -hmm. I think is completely outrageous. Yeah. But I'm also the type of person that's like, Wi-Fi should be completely free no matter where you go. (laughs) I'm also the person who's like, we shouldn't really have um, borders anywhere. I'm the person who's like, education should be free because it's Mm -hmm. a right for everybody. I'm the person who believes that women should be able to do what the fuck they want to do. Can I cuss on this podcast? Yes, you can. They should be able to do what the fuck they want to do. It's encouraged even. Yeah, right? I (laughs) I have seen the guests before cuss, but I had to ask. (laughs) Do what the fuck they want to do with their own bodies and nobody should be between them and their doctor when they make those decisions. That's right. Um, I am the person that believes we should get rid of ICE. I believe we should get rid of the Electoral College. Like, I am that person answering right. those questions. So when I found out after being a caretaker for eight months that I had to pay for parking to go to the hospital to go visit my daddy, which was inevitable, mm-hmm. I had to visit my daddy, I was mm-hmm. pissed. I went on social media and I was like, no, <laughs> we have right. to cut this out. So I will circle back to that. I haven't gotten to resolving or abolishing right. the, the ticket cost to it's park your car, list. but it's on the list. Okay, word up. Now you 
were the NAACP Youth and College Division National Director. Yes. This is a very prestigious title. Yes, indeed. And the reason why is because the NAACP is a is a polarizing organization for some people, but just keep it a buck, it's one of the most influential, biggest, long-running, long-standing civil rights black organizations. Mm -hmm. um, it's like the gold standard in a lot of ways for mm -hmm. people. Um, but people have a lot of criticism. I mean, I've I've been chastised by the NAACP for things I've done with them, but I also still have respect for them 100%. because of the history. Of, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> I quit. Yeah. Break, okay. <laughs> break down your your journey with the NAACP from Ooh. beginning to end. The Reader's the, Digest version. The beginning to end. Yeah. I don't remember where uh, I don't remember where it began. All I remember is I kind of manifested that job. This is mm -hmm. funny how I tell this story. I haven't told this story before. There's this guy named Sammy Dow. Now he's Pastor Sammy Dow. He's in mm -hmm. Georgia somewhere. And he used to be the youth and college director. And we served on a board for an organization called the Generational Alliance. It was mm -hmm. a coalition of uh, organizations of color. Mm -hmm. And Sammy was the, like I said, national director of youth and college at the time. And mm -hmm. I was working at a labor union or something. And I didn't know about the NAACP. I grew up at, at, in L.A., Los Angeles Unified School District did not teach us civil mm -hmm. rights history. Right. I did not understand who they— I thought the NAACP, when I heard it in the movie, was like an archived organization. Right. I didn't think it still existed or right. anything. And um, I got to this meeting. Sammy told me he was the youth and college director. I said, so what do you do exactly? And when he described his job to me, it sounded exactly like my job as the president of the United States Student Association. Mm. So the United States Student Association is this organization— 4.4 million college students across the country. Mm -hmm. You are elected to be the president of the organization, and that's how I moved to Washington, D.C. Right. Sammy said, I do the exact same thing that you do, but only for black people. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that's I awesome. love black right. people. <laughs> I want to do it for black people. Right, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> so I was like, that's dope. Sammy left the job. Uh -huh. I forgot about it, but I kept saying, I forgot about the discussion, but I kept mm -hmm. saying, that sounds like a really cool job. Mm -hmm. And then Roland Martin. <laughs> Shout out to Roland Martin. Shout out to Uncle Roland. Who did a whole episode of his show with me that he still hasn't released still, yet. And I was there for it. He Am I in the queue? What's going yeah. on? <laughs> All right. Next year. Okay. Surprise. Um, and Roland Martin had a panel where he invited uh, then just Derek Johnson, now he's President Derek Johnson, to the panel discussion. And I have never told this story. He invited him to this panel discussion to ask him if he was going to be the next president of the NAACP. Mm -hmm. And I think politically, Derek just said... I don't know. I'm considering it. Like, not really sure. Right. And when we cut to commercial break, Derek was getting ready to walk off the set. And I said, if you're looking for folks and you hiring, right. we should get together. We should talk. Okay. And he said— So you manifested well, this. Yes. Yeah. And he said, well, what are you doing later on today? And I said, text me. And we got drinks in D.C. And the discussion happened right then and there. And I don't remember the transition, how fast it was, but I became the National Director of Youth in College. So that's how it started. Mm -hmm. um, when I got to that job, I didn't have any staff. In the department mm -hmm. and the chapters of the NAACP, we call them um, units. Mm -hmm. The units of the NAACP were all over the place and the students had not been mobilized. And mm -hmm. so I fundraised my ass off, hired six staff people, started the Instagram page, started the Facebook page, started the Twitter account, I all got this. it all verified, 
um, mobilize students to come for the March um, for Our Lives in D.C., where mm-hmm. I went viral. Um, organized leadership conferences, organized trainings, got them to start registering voters, put all the programs in place. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, in my opinion, ran some of the best damn NAACP conventions that they've ever seen in their entire fucking life. Yeah. And then I found out, of course, that I followed the great legacy of Jeff Johnson and Jamal Bryant, who were also the former, and Stephanie James Brown, who were also former youth and college directors. Talking NAACP. about Brother Jeff. Yes. <laughs> brother Jeff. We know him as Brother Jeff yeah. in the hip-hop world. Big Brother Jeff Johnson. <laughs> no doubt. Now, you mentioned... Um, U-S-S-A. Yes. Which you have the poster behind you on your podcast. <laughs> because you love working you there. You really be watching my oh, shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I fuck with you the long way. I know you do. I um, love that poster. <laughs> your dedication to the cancellation of student debt yes. is impressive. Thank you. Recently, it's because I got it. I got student debt. Yeah, I, I've, I've never <laughs> had student debt, but it's a huge problem. Yeah. You know, I, I think the Biden administration just made a recent announcement. Yeah. There was some headway. Mm. What, what was that? He's done a few things. He has um, reconstructed um, the student loan forgiveness program. Mm-hmm. Uh, supposedly, he's made it easier. Mm-hmm. I disagree with that, but mm-hmm. he supposedly made it easier. Explain why you disagree with that. I disagree with that because uh, if you're going to cancel student loan debt, I don't think you need an application. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know we have the debt. Right. You know how much debt I have. You right. know where my debt belongs. You know yeah. what agency it belongs to. You know what... Um, uh, student loan debt profiteers have the debt. Mm-hmm. Why do I need to apply to student loan debt cancellation? I think it's bogus. But... Um, they decided to make it the process. And then they got so many applications that they don't even know what to do with it anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they responded to people and told them that they were approved for student loan debt cancellation. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court then decided um, that the president has the authority to cancel student loan debt. You just did it the wrong way. So it didn't... But well, that sucks. Who you telling? I was about to... <laughs> okay? <laughs> Save some money every month. Right. And um, he said, you just did it the wrong way. So... And then, you know, there's politics in Congress that mm-hmm. I won't go into that's in the weeds and it's wonky. Um, so what is happening now is mm-hmm. Joe Biden has uh, taken pockets of debtors, borrowers, mm-hmm. and canceled their debt because they are either um, differently abled or they went mm-hmm. to a school that doesn't have accreditation anymore. And so your degree is worth nothing. So he was like, you don't, that doesn't count. We'll mm-hmm. take your debt and cancel it. Um People who have a lot of debt who make a below a family contribution line, he's canceled their debt. So he's done pockets, right, yeah. um, for certain amounts of money. What we're doing now is the Department of Education has a, uh, think about it like a, a focus group. Mm-hmm. And the focus group right now is trying to consider a new process for student loan debt cancellation. Mm-hmm. And I, we don't know how long that process is going to take, mm-hmm. but it's supposed to be, let's figure out the right way we can cancel student loan debt because the Supreme Court said we did it the wrong way. Right. Um, he better you. do it before he tries to run again. Thank you for being uh, about that. I've been doing that shit for 12 advocate. years. Yeah, someone needs to advocate. And, um, and do you know where that came from? Mm-hmm. Upperclassmen in college told me that, like, they made me believe that education could be free. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't even think about that. Like, my mind wasn't that radical or that dope. And I was like, oh, we education should be free. We should mm-hmm. cancel student loan debt. And they were like, yeah. And I was like... You're right. We should cancel student loan debt. It should yeah. be free. And I've been running yeah. with that ever since, 12 years. I agree. Um, now, your work, I want to talk about the labor unions for a second, the AFL-CIO, the American Federation of Teachers, the Flight Attendants Union, uh, working with Delta. You, you're very passionate about this. And then the, the Hollywood strike, which I, I'm correct to say that was successful, right? Yes. That put sort of unions and striking and the power of the people and the fact that we could accomplish these goals in the spotlight. Um I just saw this thing online where they talked about All in a Family, which is a great TV show, um, did four episodes about unions. 
Mm. Where Archie was happy that he got a raise. Mm-hmm. But then Rob Reiner's character, Meathead, was like, yo, Archie, you got a 15% raise, but the cost of living is going up 30% next year. Mm-hmm. So it's not keeping up. You're you're behind mm-hmm. now. And he talked about how Archie needed to join a union. And I don't know if this is accurate, but I saw on social media, and I have to give this disclaimer because it could be wrong, but they said that the episodes about unions were taken off of Amazon or not on Amazon. You can't see them. Hmm. And I've also heard that it says Jeff Bezos, right? Yeah. Bezos is an anti-union guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just got me thinking when I was coming to this conversation with you about, I think we need to reignite the conversation around why unions are important. It's happening right yeah. now. This whole year has been, and, and actually Cornell University um, in New York, they have a website where every year they track how many workers go on strike, how many hours workers have been on strike. And like last year was the highest, this year has been the second highest that we mm-hmm. have seen in like over a decade. From Starbucks workers mm-hmm. to Amazon workers, mm-hmm. TSA workers mm-hmm. just got a contract and a raise, Kaiser Permanente staff just went on strike. Mm-hmm. We can stop and talk about United Auto workers who across the country are striking and mm-hmm. fighting for a four-day work week, which we would all, I mean, some of us who have nine fives, but we would all benefit from mm-hmm. And Delta wasn't Airlines. it Henry Ford that came up with the five-day yes. work week? Yes, so, yes, yeah, yes. It makes yes. sense that the And unions do... helped, like, yeah. fortify it into contract, yes. And Henry Ford was also a Nazi. Yes, indeed. And he also created Right to Work and said yeah. black people shouldn't be a part of unions, yes. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, so there's um, United Auto workers, there's... Uh, so many people. There's the writers, the teachers earlier this year, mm-hmm. LAUSD went on strike and they won a huge contract. Um, I think it's coming back. The problem is, is that we still have strong conservative political leadership mm-hmm. who control, I think, in my opinion, the media and the way corporations function in mm-hmm. the South. Yeah. And I have family members in the South, I'm picturing them in my head right now, who have said to me, we don't do that union shit over here. Keep mm-hmm. that over there. We're not trying to do it. And mm-hmm. I just can't seem to understand why people think corporations are, are have the intention and the agenda to treat them fairly. But you do know corporations are people, right, Tiffany? <laughs> <laughs> you are training me. <laughs> I just can't seem to understand why people think. Mm-hmm. So like right now, I'm organizing flight attendants for mm-hmm. Delta. Yeah. They currently don't have a union. American, Alaskan, Hawaiian, JetBlue, Southwest, um, so on and so forth. They have unions. Mm -hmm. The Delta Airline pilots also have a union, Mm -hmm. but the flight attendants don't. And the stuff that they have to go through— I know. I fly all the time. Deserves a contract. I'm a million miles on Delta. Me too. Give me some. Are you Diamond? I am. Ah, Give me some. Okay, cool. And uh, <laughs> I appreciate the high five. And um, so I'm organizing them right now, but there are Delta flight attendants mm-hmm. who believe that Delta is always going to put them first and always going to show up for them. And yeah. you've, you've mentioned that in our private conversation that, yeah. that you've had issues with, with flight attendants pushing back against a union for flight attendants. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. There's always going to be that, right? There's always going to yeah. be, I mean, hell, even when the Black Panther Party was organized and there was black people who was like, we're not doing that shit over there, right? Yeah. Even though it was good for us yeah. and the advocacy that people have done benefits everybody, That's not right. just a certain group of people. And those same, it's, the revisionist history is crazy because those same people will act like they were supporting the Black Panthers back in the day. You I just see got it now. triggered. I mean, listen, right now it. in the Middle East, what we talk you'll about, you'll see it now. And people are going to circle back and say they was on the right side and they wasn't. They said nothing of the sort. So I'm glad that you broached that subject because yeah. we'll talk about the Middle East uh, for a little bit. Now, you placed the blame for the union busting and the anti-union stuff squarely on the shoulders of conservatives just now. Mm. And 
You and corporations. Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Conservatives in the corporation. And the corporation. The corporation is just bipartisan. People. Like, sure. like it's Democrats and Republicans yes. that are corporatists. Yes. Right? Um, one criticism that I get is that people say, Taleb, you always talk about Trump. You always criticizing the Republicans and the and the and the conservatives. You never have nothing bad to say about the Democrats. And I absolutely do criticize Republicans and conservatives a lot more than I criticize Democrats and the people who align themselves with Democrats. And that's yeah. that's strategic on my part, right? Sure. But that's not to say that I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Democrat for the same reasons that people criticize the Democrats. Right. I just feel like I Everybody can get it. Yeah. So <laughs> everybody's about to get it right now. <laughs> so everybody who says I never criticize Biden or never criticize the Democrats, start taping now. Yeah. Because you won't... Yeah. Oh, we haven't been recording this entire time. <laughs> One of the main reasons that I'm not a Democrat and one of the main reasons why I don't publicly support politicians like Joe Biden is because of America's uh, stance on Israel and because of how much money we give to Israel and because Joe Biden and other politicians who I sometimes will agree with will then say, you know, if I was Jewish, I'd be a Zionist or then be pushing this lie about children being beheaded. And now I just saw on the internet recently that Joe Biden is 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 pushing the idea that this hospital that was bombed in Gaza by the Israelis, he's online talking about, oh, it might have been Hamas. No, no, he didn't been- say might have been. He said, this is clear mm-hmm. that it was the other team the other who team. did this, which is yeah. like it's a soccer game. And I'm like, it's not a fucking soccer game. <laughs> yeah, We're talking this- about an apartheid and a genocide. Stop talking about sports team right here. This is straight up lying. Yeah. This is straight up uh, supporting genocide. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been criticized and been penalized professionally. I've been kicked out of venues. I've had shows canceled. I've received death threats for simply saying, hey, I believe BDS is a peaceful solution. Mm-hmm. I'm not even the pro-Palestine guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not out here Tef poing it up. <laughs> I'm not out here Tiffany <laughs> Dina lofting it up. Shout out to Tef. Shout out to Tef Poe. I'm not out here. <laughs> I'm not out here doing it like that. Yeah. I just, if I'm not out here on the front lines of that movement. Yeah. I'm just an artist that if they ask me, hey, do you think that the Palestinians should be free? Well, yes, I do. Do you support Palestinian liberation? Well, yes, I do. Do you support the idea that boycott and divestment and sanctions could are a peaceful solution? My parents were part of the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. Shout out to your mama, by the way. Shout Go out ahead. to my mom and my dad. They were, and this this was we had anti-apartheid, essentially BDS stuff all through my house growing up, and I saw how that worked. That's dope. So hell yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah. And just from me saying I'm down with that. People have determined I don't have the right to feed my family. Now, I'm still speaking from a place of enormous privilege. Mm -hmm. The fact that I've lost a couple of gigs, that means nothing to people who are losing their homes and losing their families and losing their lives. Um, I say all that to say I'm just, I'm giving you my own experience. But to to give, to catch the watchers and listeners up, you are a very pro-Palestinian advocate. You've been to Palestine three times. You show solidarity with these people. You go out there and you you march and you protest and, and you, you're very active. There's criticism in the black community. People who say, well, that's not a black issue or we shouldn't be doing that. Um, I want to give you the opportunity to push back against that. To push back that it's not a black issue. Um, it is not complicated to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently finished reading um, Long Walk to Freedom, mm-hmm. an autobiography by Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. And what I never learned until I read that book 
was that Nelson Mandela, when he was fighting against apartheid, uh, organized with the ANC, the African National Congress, and they for years Mm -hmm. took the nonviolent approach that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Let's boycott, let's divest, let's use sanctions, let's organize our people to resist Mm nonviolently. I'm reading a book right now called Healing Resistance. I'm forgetting the name of the author. Um, But it's talking about all nonviolence and how you combat conflict and injustice. Mm -hmm. And so there, and then I'm thinking about like Carmen Perez, who does nonviolent direct action training. Shout out to Carmen. Shout out to Carmen Perez mm-hmm. and uh, learned it from, you know, the late, um, great Harry Belafonte. And those are all things that I have watched Palestinians do from overseas mm-hmm. and there in person. Like you said, I've been there three times. Mm-hmm. And, and when, I, when I say I've been there three times, let me clarify what that means. I was a part of a racial justice delegation that went to Palestine with a group of other activists and artists to learn about the apartheid that's happening there and to understand the struggle by meeting with people on both sides of the aisle. Mm-hmm. aisle, Both sides of the wall, because it's a wall. Um, and while I read Long Walk to Freedom, Nelson Mandela, um, before he went to prison, decided to create uh, the MK, a separate organization outside mm-hmm. of the ANC, because he said, enough is enough. Y'all are going to stop killing our babies and our children and our families and our wives and our mothers, right. et cetera. And traveled around the continent of Africa collecting um, dollars. Well, money in Africa, because it's not called dollars. And connect, collecting guns and weapons mm-hmm. because they wanted to build a military arm of the ANC. Separate from the ANC, but it was the arm of the ANC. And when he got military training, donations, and weapons, he went back to South Africa. And then they arrested him and put him in jail because they are like, you about to right. do too much. right. But Nelson Mandela was a clear supporter of the liberation of Palestinians, so much so that the city of Johannesburg gifted Palestine a, I don't know exactly how tall it is, but it's got to be at least 50 feet statue Mm -hmm. of Nelson Mandela with his fist in the air Mm -hmm. and stuck it in Palestine. And for black folks, I think about our own struggle during Black Lives Matter and how Palestinians showed up for us in solidarity from across the seas while we were getting tear gassed, maced, arrested, shot at, et cetera. That's right. right. And the solidarity that was inevitable, even though they were currently living under apartheid and still Mm -hmm. are. Um, So it's clear for me, and what I am not in the business of is trying to, we've got so much that we have to fight and resist right Mm -hmm. now that black folks who are angry at everything, black people who were like, don't talk about Palestinians because they ain't got our back are the same people who are like, don't talk about immigrants because they don't have our back. That's right. They're the same people who say, don't vote for the Democrats. You one of the people who voted for Joe Biden, you asshole. Like, they're the same mm-hmm. people. They're just angry. Mm-hmm. And I am, you know this, I am not in the business of organizing those people. My job is to organize the folks who are open and flexible to learning, want to understand the experience, are interested in understanding how they can best support Palestinians mm-hmm. in their liberation, mm-hmm. and um, want to find a way to learn about our history because it does repeat itself. Mm-hmm. And my generation specifically right now wants to do everything possible to stop a genocide because we are watching it in our lifetime. And yeah. our people want to do that. Do you feel like the social media and us having access to more information is helping people get more... 100%. Informed? 100%. Informed, not just about the issue, because that's one thing to make you feel confident to say something. Mm-hmm. But informed in the sense that I'm an ally to the Palestinian movement. I'm not Palestinian. Mm-hmm. It's helping me correct the language that I'm using. Yes how I'm talking about the struggle, yes. the stories that I can uplift and highlight. My job is to be an echo for the people who are directly impacted. Yeah. And that is what we've been doing on I'm social a, media. Thank you for that. I'm going to say something to add to this conversation before we move on that to me is obvious, but I feel like it needs to be said sure. in this conversation about Palestine and Israel that uh, being anti-Zionist or anti the politics of Zionism is not 
being anti-Semitic at all. No. In any way. And people have a real hard time understanding that because the Israeli government, with the help of how they've been supported by the U.S. and Germany and the U.K., they've been very successful at convincing people that if you are anti the right-wing government of Israel, that you are anti-Jewish. And they've been erasing Jewish allies and people who don't support them. Right. And it's, it's, it's very sad to watch. One thing I've always said is that you know, even people, people who have obviously Hamas and other groups, you know, any decent, intelligent person is against terrorism, is against murder. Um, but there's context that's missing when you talk about the creation of these groups. 100%. But what I will say, and I don't know if you agree, I feel like the right wing always has things in common. The right wing of whatever you want to call it, the Islamic world is doing the same things as the right wing of the Christian evangelical world. It's doing the same things as the right wing of the Israeli world. Mm. These are just right wingers mm. that, that that we're against. Mm. And I'm, I'm not saying that to say that people get confused when I say that because in America, we've been convinced that the right wing is Republicans and the left wing is Democrats. Right. And while all Republicans are right wingers, right. not all Democrats, in fact, most of them are not left wing. Right. Most of them are not leftist. They're not. No. Most of them are more corporate. Yeah, centrist. Mm-hmm. And centrist. And so, and then these parties change names anyway. So when I say <laughs> leftist, I'm not talking about Joe Biden. Yeah. I'm not talking about Democrats who have been elected. There's some leftist elements in the Democratic Party. Sure. But I don't consider Democrats leftists. I would also suggest that um, Hamas is not synonymous with Palestinian. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also suggest that saying free Palestine is not anti-Semitic. That's right. That should be and obvious. That it's not. It's not. It's, not. it's, <laughs> it's not. not. And what it's doing is it is um I saw uh I read an article earlier today and Al Jazeera had posted it. Al Jazeera is one of the few media um entities, I mm-hmm. guess, that have space in the Gaza walls. Mm-hmm. And Israel is now banning them from being able mm-hmm. to talk about and tell the story. There's so much about the control of free speech and the control of these stories that's happening right now that yeah. I'm really scared of, like I'm terrified of, actually. Um, and if you've ever, ever wanted to say free Palestine and were too afraid because of the consequences, mm-hmm. now more than ever, we are watching a global movement mm-hmm. support the liberation of Palestinians from South Africa to Australia to London to mm-hmm. Brazil to Colombia to all these places that are moved to states across the nation right now who are protesting to LA who's had like 10 protests literally in the last two weeks. Now is the time where we should all feel emboldened and safe enough to do it in solidarity with the Palestinians. Yeah. And we cannot afford because of whatever fear we have or whatever politics we have to stay silent while we watch them annihilate everybody in the Gaza Strip. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, because we're pro-human. Yeah. And because I'm pro-human, and being pro-black is being pro-human. Agreed. And being pro-women and pro-LGBTQ and pro-immigrant. These are all pro-human things. That's right. And because I'm pro-human, I'm very much against the death penalty. I've always, it's never made sense to me. I've always been against it. I've always argued with people, you know, it makes people feel tough, I guess. I don't know what it is that people people advocate for the death penalty, advocate for the state to murder you, even, even in the face of the fact that the state, the data shows us that the state is often wrong. Like if they murder, if they will legally murder one person who's innocent, we should just get rid of the whole fucking thing. The whole thing. 
And they've murdered plenty of innocent people. Yes. So now you've advocated for people from um, Marvin Guy mm-hmm. and Julius Jones. Yeah. You were in Oklahoma yeah. with the family. Um, he was all scheduled to be murdered by the state, mm-hmm. and they were able to get him off death row, but he's still yeah. in jail, right? Yeah. Um, uh, prison, yeah. Prison. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about Julius Jones and why you advocate against the death penalty. Shout out to Sean King, who called me on my phone when I was driving from Detroit to Toledo. I think that's what I was doing. And said to me, hey, we got this case. I was working for, at the time, uh, the Grassroots Law Project. Shout out to everybody in the team there. and um, Or consulting for them. And um, he introduced me to Tiffany, Dr. Tiffany Crutcher, who is the um, executive director and founder of the Terrence Crutcher Foundation. Mm-hmm. Her twin brother was killed by a police officer, yes, Terrence, peace, Crutcher. Terrence Crutcher. Yes. Mm-hmm. Shout out to my sister Tiffany, who's incredible. And so her and I got a chance to meet. She gave me the lay of the land. And there were two strategies. There's a, there's a we're going to do this politely strategy. And then there was like, all right, we got to fuck shit up and make people's life uncomfortable mm-hmm. strategy. And they had me on the we going to fuck this shit up and make people's life uncomfortable strategy. Right. Because um, you need both. Yeah. <laughs> and they and this, people can't be the same. And um, so long story short, uh, you're correct. Um, up until an hour and some change before his scheduled execution, we were out there in front of the Oklahoma State Penitentiary. And I could just, there's an Instagram video of me actually having a whole panic attack. I took a Xanax the day, like, before mm-hmm. I was about to do this because I have never been to an execution, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I, can't, I have to be honest by saying on that morning when we were there, I kind of gave up. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, there's nothing else we can do. But there it's were— a lot. It's, it's heavy. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. there were just hundred, hundreds of people out there. I believed that it wouldn't happen. As a woman of faith and as somebody who had talked to, like, the colleagues of Oklahoma, and they're like, mm-hmm. this is not going to happen. But I just couldn't see how. We're already here. And the pastor, shout out to um, Minister Keith Giselle, had said he has to hold his hand and walk him down the, uh, the hallway mm-hmm. and bring him into the chamber. And it was just, like, I just, I gave up. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I'm sitting here crying on FaceTime, I mean, on Instagram, um, we got the news that they were going to halt the execution. The governor had made that decision. There's a lot of politics there that the governor's raggedy and we need to kick him out of office mm-hmm. and we need a new governor in Oklahoma. But I say all that to say, the stuff that I learned about the death penalty, you said a little earlier that they were going to legally execute him. All of the juice, I don't know what to call it, the chemicals mm-hmm. in the concoction for lethal injection, do you know where they come from? Mm-mm. They come from the black market. Mm. So our state penitentiaries. Wow. Our state... Here's why. I get it. Here's John, it Johnson Johnson and the people who made the COVID-19 um, vaccination and the people who make Tylenol and Advil mm-hmm. are not allowed to kill people. Right. They all have statements on their websites. All these doctors and nurses, their job is to save people's lives. That's right. Nobody's allowed to produce a drug that will kill people. Yeah. And What's so the name of that code? How the fuck— The code that doctors have to— Hippocratic Oath. Hippocratic Oath. So how on the fuck Mm -hmm. do we find the people who are administering the chemicals into people? I learned this shit and I blew my fucking mind. The stuff that they have to insert into people's arms when they're about to execute them, those are people who are either voluntold at the prison or their names are picked out of a hat and they have to do it that day. And they are not trained. They are not healthcare professionals. Mm. They are just giving clear instructions. Use the purple syringe first, then the yellow one, then the black one. They don't even know how to find your fucking vein. They're not nurses and doctors. It's crazy. And so when you find these chemicals, literally some white man who actually comes from Oklahoma, I'm forgetting his name. People can Google this. This white man in Oklahoma decided, 
um, given instructions off of elected officials in Oklahoma. We need to find a way that doesn't look as violent as the gas chamber and the, the firing squad and um, electrocuting people. Because people are now starting to say that that's wrong. We can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So they created lethal injection. But there's no pharmaceutical company that yeah. sells lethal injection chemicals and shit. And so you have governments, per- and they won't tell you where they got them from. Mm. They won't tell you how much they paid for them. They won't tell you what the chemical actually is. And they mm. will go around the world and, and create this concoction in a witch fucking, what's that thing, the bucket? Mm. And they'll stir it around, they'll put it in the syringes, and then they kill people, which is why you have so many botched executions. And to your point earlier, there are so many people who should not have, who nobody should be killed. There are so many people who have gotten the execution through lethal injection were innocent and then suffered and struggled mm. by the eyewitnesses of people who work in the media who come to watch the executions, who then tell us afterwards his eyes popped and he couldn't breathe for 40 minutes before he was actually killed. And so the reason why I'm against the death penalty is because states are illegally killing people. Mm-hmm. Illegally. There's no legal process to the death penalty whatsoever. You have people who are volunteering to execute people who said, there's an interview with the New York Times did with people in South Carolina. And they said to them, why is it that you feel like you need to do this? And they said, because I believe in God. And if anybody's going to kill them because they have to die, then I ought to be the person who does it because I can pray for them. We got some sick motherfuckers in America. That's sick. And, um, and they told their stories and the families were like, listen, he has changed. We don't even know him anymore. This, is, this has made him wildly insane. I am against the death penalty. I do not believe it is a system that restores or ends violence because clearly violence still exists and you are still killing people. So we need to abolish the death penalty quickly and shout out to death, um, uh, death penalty action and um, abolish death penalty, who I will have on my podcast soon because they're going to come That's talk right. about And you said all of that without even addressing the racial disparity issue. Oh, the well. Which is a, a whole nother bag whole of nother thing, yeah. yeah. But to but your point, humans, humans, if we're going to take right. out the racial thing, every, nobody deserves to die. That's right. In my opinion. I don't care what crime you did. Now, you mentioned that you m- met this person through Sean King. Yes, Tiffany Crutcher. Yeah, Tiffany Crusher. Shout out to Tiffany. I, I, I enjoyed Tiffany on your podcast. Thank you. Um, Sean King is, for lack of a better term, He's very famous for his activist work. Yes. So he's like a celebrity activist. Yes. You're moving into this space. Oh, shit. You are. <laughs> you know, Tamika Mallory is, is a friend of ours. Yes. As a celebrity activist. We, we, we love and respect Tamika and everything she does. Always. Um, you and I have had conversations about Sean King. Yeah. And how people, he's been, his name is dragged through the mud. Yes, it is. They call him Talcum X. People, and for a lot of people who don't know, the, the reason why Sean King's race comes into question is because Breitbart, which is run by Steve Bannon, which is a white supremacist Nazi website, they didn't like how Sean King kept exposing all these white supremacist stuff. He's he's finding people who were who have who he's finding Nazis, he's finding KKK members when the Charlottesville thing happened and they did like, we don't know who did it. Sean King he activism found he found everybody. He got him trying, put him jail. All of that. <laughs> and, and Sean King's doing this work. Yes. So they came up with this story about he's not really black because his mother's white. Yeah. And so he had to reveal some things about his past that I'll I'll let people look into that for themselves because sure. it's Sean's story to tell. Sure. But Sean absolutely identif- identifies as a black man mm-hmm. and as a black person. And he absolutely when you when that, when you think about the families of the people who have lost their lives to uh, police brutality, these families, from from my perspective, trust the work of an activist like Sean King. Yeah, now, they call them 
They call Sean. They call Sean. Yeah. Now, there's not one person in the world, even you, yeah. even my mama, even my daddy, that I agree with 100% everything they say. Mm-hmm. I think that's a silly metric, right? In yeah. the social media age of mob mentality, if I don't agree with every single thing you say, then I'm your enemy. I mean, I'm you a... just canceled me because I said I didn't want honey in my I team. did, I did. She don't, she, she said <laughs> just she, canceled she, me she, said she don't like honey. Ago. And I said, that's a deal breaker. I don't care. <laughs> it's a deal breaker, yo. I don't care. Who don't like honey? So what? So what? You the reason the bees is dying. No, <laughs> <laughs> But I say all this to say I'll that. I'll send PETA after me. Do PETA do animals? Dogs. Uh, uh, listen. <laughs> okay, whatever. I say all that to Sorry. say that, look, Sean King and I are not, she's not my best friend. I don't call him on the phone. But I feel for him yeah. because some of the things that they do to him because of his activist work and because of how effective he is, they try to do this to me too. Yeah. And so I just wanted to get your take on. <laughs> Sean King? Not Sean King. Not give it. But I was using him as an example. Sure. But how to navigate the pressures and the attacks that come with being a celebrity activist. There's so many things I can say about this because I love Sean King. Um, is I'm I'm uh, I'm an educator at the University of California Santa Cruz. I teach leadership mm-hmm. and um, organizing at UC Santa Cruz, and my students have told me that they don't even want to do activist work mm-hmm. because of how society and social media have teared down some of our um, civil rights leaders mm-hmm. and activists and organizers across the country. Tell it and. I understand, right? Like, if you get a check for $5,000 because you did a speech, somebody else is going to be upset and mad and try to drag you through the mud for the $5,000 check you got. Mm -hmm. And it is this... It is this tornado of um, the end to nowhere (laughs) that I think we get so caught up in. And in my organizing style, anybody you ask will say, yeah, I know Tiffany. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I know Tiffany. There's a a very few amount of people who don't fuck with me. Mm -hmm. We might not talk, but you don't not fuck with me. There's two mm-hmm. people I don't fuck with. I'll leave that for a different I podcast. <laughs> but but I say all that to say, I have not seen... Uh, ooh, I told you this story a while ago, and I'm not going to use the person's name. I'm going to call this person Rebecca. Okay. Becky with the good hair. No, okay, different name. <laughs> I'm going to call... <laughs> I'm going to call this girl Susan. I'm going to really try to remember that, because that's hard. Okay. I don't know no Susans. Okay. My There's, name is not Susan. Susan. Come on, Whitney Houston, let's go! Um... Shout out to my auntie. So um, there's this woman named Susan. Mm-hmm. Susan was on social... I'm going to give you an example of how I operate. Because mm-hmm. I'm from L.A. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go. There's a girl named Susan. Susan is talking shit about Sean King on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Susan ain't never met Sean King. Mm-hmm. Susan ain't never been on a Zoom call. Susan don't even have Sean King's phone number. Mm-hmm. Okay? And is dragging Sean King on the internet. Mm-hmm. Sean King calls me. Yo, uh, Tiff... You know Susan? Yeah, what's up? So she's talking shit about me on social media and then sends me the evidence of the tweets. Mm -hmm. Dragging Sean King through the mud. Making all kinds of accusations. You've experienced this. Making all kinds of accusations of shit that's not true, that has no factual nothing, no no links to any article, no nothing. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was hoping, Sean, I was hoping you could introduce me to them so that them and I could get on the phone and hash some of this shit out. Mm -hmm. Because I, from what I know, I think I respect Susan's work. Right. So it's bothering me that Susan's talking about me on social media. Right. Sean knows this story. Right. So I hit up Susan. I said, hey, girl, what's up, sis? Right. Susan goes, hey, what's up? I said, listen, um, you talking about my homeboy on social media. This is all behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. I didn't call her out on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, Sean King says, uh, you talking about him. I found these tweets. 
I was wondering, Sean is interested in having a discussion with you mm. so y'all can squash some of this and so he can answer some of your questions and explain some of the shit that you're accusing him of that's not true. Mm-hmm. Susan says, I'm not talking to him unless he pays me. Mm. He's not worthy of my time. Right, of course, because... Well, he, how he not worthy of your time? But how he not worthy yeah. of your time and you talking about him on Twitter? That's you spending point. time talking about him on Twitter. That's a good point. I feel like, and this happens a lot in... Not just movement organizing. I'm not going to say movement is only the place that's messy. It happens everywhere. It's more detrimental. It's George. It's more. Yes, it is. I agree. Yeah. It is more detrimental to the movement. And that person said, no, I don't want to talk to them. So now I feel like a fool because I got to go back to Sean King and say, Susan, don't want to talk to you, player. Right. But I'm cool with Susan. Right. In L.A., <laughs> the way I grew up as a kid in middle school and high school, we don't play that shit. That's right. You talking shit about somebody. And we kicking it in the middle of the street or in an alley right after school. I can't trust you. I can't have you around me if you're doing it. And my friends ain't fucking with you. And if I need help, they gon' You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, there is a level... My son talks about this a lot. There's a level of loyalty Mm -hmm. and respect that we have for other people. And you're not going to keep nobody's name in your mouth if you can't actually see them face to face. That's right. So we've gotten into a place where not just trolls are doing this, but Susan (laughs) is talking about Sean King. And Sean King, that's when I was like, okay, I can fuck with him. Because he came to me real honest. Yo, I need to talk to Susan real quick. Mm -hmm. Can you connect us? I came back and said to him, Susan don't want to talk to you. But she said she'll keep your name out of her mouth on social media. Now, Susan did not keep that promise. She has talked about Sean King on social media for a very long time. And now I don't even fuck with Susan like that no more. But... Um, in terms of how I operate and move in LA and this activism, celebrity stuff, I feel like we have a level of respect for each other, for people that we work in the movement, whether you're in Ferguson, Miami, New York, LA, wherever you might be. And even if I don't know you, I am one person removed from you and there is a way for us to get in contact with each other. The world is too small now and we are able to squash our own beef instead of doing this bullshit on the computer. And there's not been a family member who has said Sean has stolen money from him. Mm-hmm. Sean showed up for, I'll tell this story. I've never told this story before. Sean showed up for um, the Georgia NAACP State Conference during the pandemic after um, Ahmaud Arbery was killed. The NAACP National was fundraising money, sending out emails with um, George Floyd's name in it and Ahmaud Arbery's name in it, but not giving money to the state conferences where the people were. And I connected the president of the Georgia State Conference with Sean King on social media. And I told Sean, yo, you need to invest in this young brother. He's dope. And the the young brother didn't know I did that, called me and said, yo, Sean King just followed me on Instagram. This is crazy. And I said, you should ask him for some money. And I'm not going to say how much it was, but he reached out and asked Sean for some money because they were struggling. The NAACP didn't give them money, Mm -hmm. so they needed some money. And Sean fundraised the money and got them some change. And he was able to keep his staff for the rest of the summer. So this activism celebrity thing is inevitable. Mm -hmm. Even when we leave, people still going to talk shit about us. But I think that as an L.A. person, when you know the person or you know somebody who knows the person, we should be able to squash our own beef off air, on our own, with respect and legitimacy and honor because eventually, I hope we're all going to the same place. Now, if we gotta That's go right. to the same place, then we can fuck each other up online. But if we're going to the same place, let's do this differently. That's right. I appreciate you making that point because that's a very important part of it is that about being on code. Yes. And understanding that you don't have to agree with everyone's uh, strategy and tactics. That's right. But if we all here for the movement for black lives and That's for right. the liberation of us as a people. That's right. We can all agree to at least get in the rooms and have these conversations. And everybody who's talking shit about these celebrities, Tamika, Sean, Patrice, me, whoever, mm-hmm. you, whatever, we're all accessible people. That's right. So they should be, we should be able to squash this and handle this differently. That's, That's right. my only thing. 
Um, amidst all of this activism and this advocacy, if someone follows you on social media, they also see that you live a joyous life. You travel, you're healthy, you're health conscious, you're, you're in fantastic, wondrous places all over the world. <laughs> um, you're dancing, you're going to Beyonce concerts, you're going to Burner Boy concerts. How do you maintain this balance and why is it crucial for people who are doing the work to also experience joy in their life? I learned this from my mama. Mm -hmm. My mother, who's still here, Cookie Fast and Lofton, she has a incredible, incredible um, commitment to enjoying life. Mm -hmm. And I learned it at a very young age. Even when we were living in shelters, even when we were homeless, even when we lived in a hotel, my mother always found ways to not make us happy, mm -hmm. but just like look at the beautiful side of life. And I fell in love with traveling um, when I was able to afford to travel. <laughs> when I worked at the AFL-CIO, um, I fell in love with yoga by watching other people on Instagram mm -hmm. fall in love with yoga. I fell in love with going to concerts and just enjoying life because I just, um, I believe in celebrating the planet that we're fighting for. Yes. And I want to remember why I'm doing this work. That's right. When the work is so violent and traumatic and stressful and exhausting that sitting at the poolside in Bali <laughs> or doing a headstand in Japan, <laughs> those are the things that remind me to find um, balance mm -hmm. and to re remind myself that I'm alive right now and that I need to celebrate that um, yes. while I do this work. That's beautiful. Thanks for that question. Thank you for being a guest on People's Party. I have one more question for you. Okay. Um, I've mentioned your podcast several times. Um, it was exciting watching you come up with that idea. Thank you. And build it. I called you for uh, you advice. Did. I sure did. You did. And, and I, I really like the work that you're doing. I like the conversations you're having. Thank you. Um, I feel like it's vital for people who are doing the movement work yeah. to listen to your podcast. What are your goals for the podcast? Um, How We Get Free is a space for organizers and activists to... Um, reflect on the work that we're doing because we don't often get that space to mm -hmm. reflect and like process what we've done. We got to move from one emergency to the next emergency. Mm -hmm. It's a space for people who want to be a part of the movement to learn um, what's happening around the world and to be inspired. And then selfishly, it's a space where I can stay connected to my friends because LA sometimes can be a lonely place because all my movement friends are everywhere yes. else. Yes. So I, I have um, now a platform where I get to have some of the dopest conversations that I have with my friends mm -hmm. and just record it and give it and offer it to the future. Ladies and gentlemen, People's Party is proud to have Tiffany Dina Loft. Thank you, Kali. Thank you.